Nicolina, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you made it. Let's go. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's so cool that, you know, you just this entire weekend you've been so busy. Um, this is this is your jam, right? Longevity. This is the folks that want to pick your brain. I mean, you must have just been so, so busy on your three-day trip to Miami. What did you think of the conference? That was really good. I was surprised. Um, I think this was the first... Uh, conference of the kind we did because um, it's I think originally a psychedelics conference and then they added the longevity as a whole other stream have you and seen that before another time no no this is the first time so we were quite intrigued to come and see and I think I love the open-mindedness of the community of course maybe it's the most um, you know open community out there it must be yeah and yeah. if you said hi to one out of a hundred people the chances of you meeting someone that's open to talking and communicating is high. Oh, yeah. And those oh. are the, some of the greatest humans on this planet. Because you also, you also have to be a bit of a rebel, you know, to even want to go to a conference like that if it's about psychedelics. And I think that, you know, I don't do a lot of drugs personally, <laughs> but I really find people that do a lot of drugs fascinating. Oh, yeah. Well, I think there's many different types of drugs right. but i think the benefits for mental health of psychedelics and there is actually so much evidence um it's not that it's just pure and of course i think that's a lot of the use of them has been for mental health but just not by prescription right <laughs> so i think now that actually going for trials seeing what works what doesn't in in, in, in what you know what what type of um, applications, I think that's amazing. And it will have a big impact on longevity uh, because so much of it is psychological and that's the part we leave out. You know, you can live this you know, perfect lifestyle, have a great diet, great rec exercise regime. If your mental health is not there, then none of it will work. None of it even matters yeah. either. It's interesting. There are these, uh, so these, there are these ketamine facilities and I don't know much about it, but it's amazing how you know, people have dedicated their lives to setting up these facilities where they can do these controlled experiments where they're taking psilocybin, ketamine, and really opening those neural pathways and making people see and think differently. It's, it's interesting how it took marijuana so long to come into the, to, to light where it's at today, but these other forms of therapy are, are happening fast. And that's the thing that's people in the audience have to understand. This was not a conference to go do a bunch of mushrooms, be a hippie and just go bang out to the grateful dead. Though there was definitely some of that vibe there, this is like a scientific group of humans that are truly like bl so excited about the potentials of what these drugs can do for so many different people. It was cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think when you go out and you you know get drunk for a night, you don't really wake up the next morning you're like, oh, my mother should try this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that with psilocybin, Often when you ask people, the first thing they think about is, oh, my father should try this. Or, oh, my, you know, some of my relatives should go for this experience. Right. So I think that's the thing that you don't really know about uh, un until you experience you it. You get converted, for sure. Yeah. And I was really fascinated with the longevity studies. You know, a little bit background. I've dedicated the next year plus, you know, it's hard to always think lo longer than a year and just in life because things change so much. But... I've dedicated my, my, my being to learning as much as I can about health and wellness. I personally had a health journey, having SIBO, all sorts of stomach issues, and it's been quite a wild, wild ride. And I believe humans will never change unless they're almost forced to change. And that change for me has trying to learn as much as I can about longevity, about being healthy, improving my biological age. So I was so excited to attend your panel. You crushed it talking about how glycanage is leading this entire first of its kind revolution of taking this biomarker and turning it into uh, what is the future of being able to look at our health. So I'm, I'm so fascinated by it. How did the journey begin to specifically longevity? Well, actually, we never uh, looked for longevity. Um, and I think, um, you know, defend, depends on how far you want to go into the journey. Yeah. But for me, it, you know, it starts a very long time ago. It um, starts selling tadpoles for Pokemon cards. Th that's even, even earlier than that. <laughs> that oh. was kindergarten. <laughs> but if you want to talk about glycans or, or where we Let's are Let's start today, the early journey before we get into that. The early journey. Okay, so I guess sometimes you're born for certain things. And for me, from early on, it was evident, evident that that would be entrepreneurship. I've always had 
a knack <laughs> for for some type of uh, small business and you know it started with frogs <laughs> but i think i've always had a need for it to be um kind of impact something had to be more there than money that was never the motivation and i think that the tadpoles this is kindergarten so you know you're you're a small child i was like maybe five or six um (laughs) (laughs) but uh, i was trying to save tadpoles because when i would um i would walk my uh, brother home i had a younger brother who just i think started going to uh, kindergarten and um, my parents would be stuck in the lab so they'll always be late so like yeah you're the bigger sister walk him home and I would walk in my little brother and I would see this um, little puddle that's drying and you have all these tadpoles which are dying because the puddle is drying so I was like let me take all these pat- tadpoles home and I was gonna put them in the bathtub um, and you know keep them alive <laughs> and then my mother negotiated with me to um, put them into pots and pans on the balcony um, and then I had to figure out how do you feed tadpoles. I tried to give them a little bit of bread and do never give tadpoles bread because um, it upsets, uh, upsets their stomach and they bubble. Um, Noted. Important mostly, most survived. Maybe one of them didn't or maybe two. But I've learned. Well, basically, my mother gave me a book because I had to. She wouldn't tell me how to pe- feed tadpoles. She was like, yeah, read this book about frogs and figure out how to feed them. So, And I'm dyslexic, so I hated reading. That was my worst nightmare. I spent hours reading this book and learned about microorganisms. And then I would go every day and pick up muddy water, exchange their water, and they grew into these small little frogs. Um, so then I had a whole balcony of little frogs, and I took them to kindergarten and uh, sold them to, to, to my peers uh, for cash, candy, or Pokemon cards. Or d- and I priced them at one Pokemon card. <laughs> That's a great so. deal. <laughs> That's an amazing yes. business. It, yeah. It's so interesting when you're so young, like yeah. salamanders and all of that stuff. I'm just fascinated by it. Like all just little amphibians. Even yeah. today, when you go into the water and you look in the water and you see what's in there, it's, it's beautiful. So then you went from selling these tadpoles to starting multiple businesses, I don't want to toot your horn too much, but you've been a serial entrepreneur. I mean, from the start, you didn't stop from that period on. You went on to create creative agencies, marketing agencies. You've done all sorts of stuff with rental properties and and marketing exquisite properties and things of that nature. Uh, And that's just touching the surface. And now you're solving one of, you're attempting to solve and doing it successfully one of the hardest problems known to mankind today. Yeah, I think it's it's been a long journey, and you know, before before this, I did travel, prop tech, very different, and I even had a sustainability business in the f- fashion uh, industry, <laughs> which was in my um, first year of university. So I've 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 done very different things, but I've come from a par- uh, a family of scientists. So all of my close relatives are some form of scientist or professor, um, and my mom's a neuroscientist, and my dad's a glycobiologist. Uh, and he's actually been pitching me for about 10 years on this potential product to measure aging because he figured it out more than 10 years ago now. Um, and I always, well, at first it takes you a while to decide, you know, to, to, to work with family, number one, uh, but also to take on um, their legacy in a way because this is his life's work. Um, and what he was missing is bringing it to people. The research is amazing. It's it's been going on for you know as old as I am, 32 years now, um, but it's never seen the light of day. It's, it's never had an impact on people, um, and this is what I'm passionate about. So it kind of all collided at the right time, um, and I, I took it on about four years ago now, just wow. under four. Yeah. H- the holidays must be very in- uh, inquisitive. There <laughs> was they were always like that. Uh, we're a family of entrepreneurs. Each each of us had some form of uh, or we have successful businesses so that's so cool it seems like you're really close with your family oh yeah we're very close yeah that's amazing yeah i have to be home for christmas every year no matter where where i am my favorite holiday not even a question how does it rank christmas yeah it's uh well it's i think it's the highlight of the year it's a moment where you recharge and then you can go at it all again yeah um but yeah and home for you is is the uk um, most Croatia. of my family is still in Croatia. I spent, uh, m- well, from 19 I was in the UK. Um, so most of my time there, but I'm Croatian. It's cool that you've been able to live this lifestyle of, of building this business because it takes you all over the globe. 
and uh, to be able to see so much. I feel like just travel alone unlocks just so much intrigue about and, and, and mysteries about the world. I think especially longevity, it's something that you have an interest, you know, all of us age. And then as a field, you have these pockets which are absolutely everywhere, you know, from Singapore to Japan. Of course, you know, U U.S. was maybe one, even uh, San Francisco was probably one of the birthplaces where they thought about longevity as something that we can tackle as a problem mm. in an entrepreneurship way. Um, so that's a rare industry where you don't have like one main market. You really have a global market and a global effort. Yeah, it's uh, cool. It's such a exciting problem to solve because when people think of longevity they think hey do you want to live a long time everyone eventually is probably going to say yes to that at some way shape or form but then there's certain people that take it to such a nutty level that it makes it not sexy to follow certain protocols the best person who is an icon is brian johnson who spoke at the yeah. event recently and that's someone that takes it to the whole next level but the great thing about that is people like that, thank goodness for people like Brian, because they're going to unlock secrets that we can integrate into our lives and live a healthier life. And I loved a lot about what people talked about at the conference is life's not just about being healthy and, 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 and living forever. Excuse me. It's not just about living forever. It's about living healthy for a long period of time. Yeah. You know, you want to live and live and live and then you want to die. You don't want it to be this sought out process. You want to live healthy, have good muscle growth, be able to have vitality, to be able to enjoy life. So the studies of being able to unlock this is interesting. One thing I'm curious about specifically what Glycan Age is doing is going back to that discussion that most people don't change until shit hits the fan. Most mm -hmm. people don't change until they have disease and that's not even to be rude to most people. Why would you change? It's almost if something's working, you get stuck in a habit. But what you're doing is developing using this, this the, the glycan, which I, you're going to have to explain in a way that can act as an early indicator for some of these situations, which is just the motivation people need to really curb bad habits and kick things into gear. Yeah, we need feedback early and I actually struggled to get in this space because I thought it was so egotistical. I thought it was so kind of, um, you know, for a limited market or a certain type of person. And then when I realized this is like an early mechanism of disease, this is, you know, that it's actually preventive healthcare. You're tackling something at its core instead of you waiting for a problem to occur and then firefighting because they, you know, they just pile off. When you, once you get one condition, you're a couple of years away from another and you're just firefighting for, for that. Right. And, and you can never go back to health. Um, so I think here it's a unique opportunity to give people feedback early because you don't really know when you're doing damage in life. You kind of wait for 20 years for something to come and bite you, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of think you, you can definitely get away with it when you're young, but you are even doing damage then. You can measure this, you know, from your 20s, you're going to see that, you know, if you smoked in your teens, um, if you have, you know, poor lifestyle habits, if you have, if you didn't win the genetic lo lottery as well, all of these things will show and it's something you can control and monitor throughout life and fix problems at, at, at their core. Uh, and I think that's the thing we don't get, because now when you wait and you measure it later on and you get a bad result, you know, you, you've accumulated for a while. You have to figure out where the bad came from. Totally. Well, if you measure it and then you straight away get feedback where the bad is coming from, it's very easy to fix. So it's interesting that there's different types of tests that do that. Some popular companies yeah. that almost everyone knows are things like Ancestry.com, 23andMe, and these different tests that look at DNA as a proxy for seeing if you have specific genes that indicate that you have these specific problems. And if you can get ahead of them, it's also an act of sort of preventative medicine. How does the, the test that you do specifically differentiate than maybe some of those like standard uh, mouth swabs, is it? Uh, yeah, so it's a completely different part of biology. So, with, uh, even if, so if we look at what are cells made of, you have DNA, protein, lipid, and carb. And carbs are also called glycans. Uh, but a lot of times, we, uh, they're not really popularized. 
in a way to understand them and, and what they actually do. We, if we say carbs, people think about carbs you eat or how your body responds to the carbs you eat. But actually this carb part evolved uh, to enable us to enable multicellular life, to enable our biology to communicate. And they actually change how our um, molecules work beyond genetics and beyond epigenetics. Um, so this is why they give us more of what's happening in the body right now versus if you're just looking at genes, it's something that's not going to change throughout life. If you're just looking at epigenetics, you're just looking at one layer of things. And your DNA is coating for proteins, which do most of the work in the body. But these proteins develop together with glycans, and then the role of glycans is to change how they work beyond genetics and beyond your epigenetics and incorporate your environmental influences. So they're very holistic. They give you a view of what's going on in the body right now, but then still taking into account your genetics, your epigenetics, and environment. And one of the challenges historically has been that they're so small that it's hard to study? No, not that they're small. <laughs> it, it, the challenge has been that they're so complex they're impossibly hard, or they have been impossibly hard to st study. So if you, DNA has four blocks, building blocks that make it. Uh, proteins have 20 building blocks. Uh, glycoproteins have thousands of building blocks. So their magnitude's more complex than your genetics. So when you think about analysis, genetic analysis is very complicated. We only cracked it, you know, recently, 15, 20 years ago. Glycomics, we're scratching the surface. Glycomics. Yeah. So we did, uh, sometimes in the U.S., they also call it glycocalyx, which is kind of this whole world, for, uh, whole word for the whole glycom. But they mainly think of, um, um, actually here they think about uh, glycans and endothelium, or more cardiovascular disease focus. Glycans are everywhere. Your blood groups are defined by glycans and blood cells. Your immune system communicates through glycans. Um, you have them on a majority of your proteins and, 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 and lipids. Glycans enable conception. You can think of every single biological process, and I bet we will find glycans in there, and they <laughs> have big meaning. Some that we understand, some that we really don't. So you know how they say that maybe about 20% of the human mm -hmm. microbiome we know, and there's yeah. so much still we don't know? Where do you think that percent sits at with glycans? Oh, I don't have an exact percent, but we there's this thing called the Human Glycan Project, and there's an analogy they use. They say if sequencing the human genome was like going to the moon, uh, analyzing or exploring the whole human glycan is like going to Mars. So this is where we are. Wow. Where's the tech? Is there certain technology that's needed to be able to get to a certain level? Is there something that we're missing, just the size of our microscopes or the ability to test on certain things? It's mainly you don't have technology that's specifically designed for glycans. So you kind of need to uh, customize existing machines, like mass specs need to be customized so you can look at glycans. Um, and then it's the stage of exploration. One is like you're trying to understand glycans in a certain protein. What do they do? What is their function? And then you're, you're quantifying them more. So we went through, you know, from the discovery uh, side to translating it to a certain methodology, which is slow, but can quantify them quicker. And now we're in a technology which is much faster. So you can do a higher amount of samples. Um, it, it still takes us seven days to analyze a set of samples. So you still have seven days of different chemical steps. And this is very different to, you know, a PCR. You know, you put something in, you get a result uh, an hour yeah. or two later. So, so that's interesting. You'll figure out a certain, I don't know the scientific term, so bear with oh, me, the certain steps yeah. in a certain process of a certain experiment, and then you'll scale that out over X amount of days. And as you're actively working with your patients, you're also actively learning on what works and what doesn't work and what's getting you closer to the goal line. Well, one is scientific development. So how do we do this quicker in the lab? Now it takes us seven days. We believe we can take it down to one day in about two years. And then it's how much of it can you look at. Uh, to date, we've looked at uh, 200,000 samples uh, from different biobanks, research cohorts around the world, uh, predominantly research cohorts. We've been commercial um, for maybe just under four years now. Um, of course, we want to get to millions. You know, In DNA, we've we looked at the, yeah. the much, much bigger number. Uh, but this is the biggest data set you have globally. Um, how does uh, the biobanks work? So when you're looking to get, you start a business doing these types of tests, can you just call up these types of banks and buy their data, if, if you would, similar to like a data company? Or how does that work? 
you can. Some of them do have samples you can commercially get access to. Or you can present something completely novel that gives them entirely new insight, and then you can collaborate and Love do that. it as scientific um, and apply for a is grant. That, is that community yeah. pretty, like, do they all work well together, or is there sort of a dark side to it? <laughs> Science is very hard, um, and it's not an easy field to crack into, and especially in certain fields, it's... You, you really need a lot of years and a lot of credibility you've built through, you know, a lot of publish w- until you're seriously, you know, you, yeah. you, 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 you and people take you seriously until they take you seriously. Um, longevity is interesting because it's such an, such a nascent field. It's easier to get in. So you have a lot of um, people who did programming who are now in the field. So mm. they went from um, software engineering into uh, applying that to biology and longevity, which yeah. is so I think openness wise, s- scientific field is very close. But if you apply to longevity science, they're becoming a l- way more open. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah. a lot of scientists, scientists generally speaking, have big egos and a lot of them don't want to be wrong. And it's one of the hardest reasons why a lot of old school yeah. Western medicine methodologies are, are may- maybe outdated, but you know, you don't want to be told that most of what you've learned might not be true. I think that's even a difference between medicine and science. Science always wants to be wrong because it means they learn something new. They're running an experiment. It's not supposed to. Of course, you have an assumption and you're biased towards that assumption. But if you have a different outcome, you're learning something new and science always continues. So in a way, in science, you always have to admit that you don't know and that there's more that should be explored. So uh, saying that I don't know as a scientist is completely normal. You hear it all the time. This is actually, it becomes frustrating because you know, in, in the end, it's kind of, every answer is I don't know, we don't <laughs> know, the more science should be done. But it's, it's all about it's the never journey. Ending. It's the journey, never the destination. In medicine, you can't say I don't know. If you have a patient and you s- say you don't know, or you're not sure about something, there's even, uh, studies that have been done to show that it impacts the patient's outcome. If they're not confident in the doctor's uh, opinion, prescription, so forth, it will actually impact them negatively. So as a physician, it's really hard for you to say, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, and you're in the intersection of both of those. Yeah, very hard place to be. Yeah. You have to build something, and we have, a, like we've done um, 17 years of science now, and all of it was purely funded by grants. So we had 40 million in grant funding over a very long period of time. Um, so the evidence is huge. But then Eventually when you're you get to the size where people just want to listen, they want to take you seriously. Uh, still, you have to talk about it. And you have to talk about it in language they understand. And initially, we spoke about it as scientists talking to doctors. And the two just did not connect because the scientist cares about certain things. He gets excited by the science. And the Physician only cares about how does it impact my patient. And unless, so we had to bridge that. And uh, we did it by actually bringing physicians in and having them spend time with the scientists. And then the physician would start to translate the science in a way, how does it apply to the patient? And then it it works, then it translates. That must have been a fun meeting, breakthrough meeting when you first did that and you saw the physician's eyes light up many meetings and it will mainly be boredom <laughs> of the physician <laughs> and then eventually they'll get excited when they realize oh actually i can use this in this way and it has a massive impact so it's interesting with the scientific field with the intersection of ai and how you know potentially if training the right model you could run a program that could you know obviously work a lot faster than the human mind how much of that is used today in learning more about the way you guys are working and, and where do you see that heading towards? So we don't, there's a lot that we yet haven't explored in biology. So you can, if you have really large data sets, like the genome has large data sets, then AI can be quite helpful uh, to help you understand that quicker, learn quicker, so forth. It's very hard for a human to do it. But with a data set of 200,000, there's not much, AI will be the future of this, of course. Uh, but right now, when we look at the, some of uh, like linear, uh, linear regression, um, some more traditional ways of modeling data, it's far easier because we can understand what goes into the model so we can interpret it. 
with AI, there's always, you, nev- you always lack this understanding of where does something come from. So actually, AI will come with time, but now these traditional models are a lot better in interpreting and understanding the data. And then as we scale into bigger, bigger data sets, we are going to lose a little bit of this, being able to tell you an answer straight away, but it will be much quicker. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's so it's, it's fun to, to meet you because, like you mentioned, you're the, you have the perfect mindset for being in the business you're in, right? You're always learning. You're never quite there. You, the scientists are always just trying new experiments and, you know, it, you're never right. It's always just a lo- like a lesson learned. They call fail fast. The more times you fail, the faster you do, you, you learn. But you must have an incredible, incredible amount of patience. Yes, I'm, uh, I say I'm the translator. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a, a skill I've always have. I just um, never give up. So eventually you, you will figure it out. What, uh, what keeps you up at night in this field? Nothing keeps me up at night right now. <laughs> I, I sleep quite well most of the time. Um, I think if I think about the big problems of this is how do you get it to medicine? How do you get to everyone? Because longevity is becoming a very uh, premium field. And most technologies start at the premium, of course. And then they scale up. They become more affordable. Um, but I'm wondering, will this move as fast as it should be into healthcare? So mm. one of our goals as a company is to develop diagnostics that can actually be applied in healthcare, which are preventive diagnostics. So they can tell you 10 years in advance that you're heading towards a problem or you have a risk of disease versus what, what's done in medicine now. And if you do a blood test, you're going to get a diagnosis when you get the results this will give you a warning that you're heading towards yeah. something. Um, so we are working very hard to get that paid by healthcare and insurance as, as quickly as possible. Is that uh, just climbing Mount Everest for you? Or is that... Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> does, does it get political? Um, it, it gets hard in many different ways, but a lot of it is um, piling, piling on evidence. But it's not just about the scientific evidence. You have to get it into the hands of doctors. And you have to collect something called real-world evidence. So physicians real are using Real-world evidence? It. Yes, if I can pronounce that properly. Um, so they're using it in practice, and they're confirming what you've seen in science. You're climbing up the evidence route. And then you have a third one, which is, can you fru- prove that it's going to sh- save the healthcare system money? Or... Uh, gonna save the insurance company money um so you're climbing on top of these kind of proof mountains yeah that is a, pr- a proof mountain there it is that's so interesting it's yeah. fascinating how like you mentioned longevity is a premium product uh, if you have a lot of money you can statistically live longer than people that don't have a lot of money as it stands today with all different types of peptides testosterone therapies and all the different things that money can buy you today and uh, it's just completely unreasonable to think that most people can ac- assess that. What's even crazier, though, is just how we live in a world where, you know, going back to the 1950s, we're living the farm life. We all have healthy food. And then next thing you know, you go into a grocery store and 98 percent of it is toxins and chemicals. And it's what people are consuming every day. There's still such a small portion of people that actually care about health and actually care about making these big changes. I'm very curious, you know, how it's going to evolve for the next decade as, you know, probably that gap even expands over time and and where science and, and companies like yourself are going to be able to to bridge that gap. Yeah, it's really hard. I think um, environment plays a huge role and so does capitalism. And I think in many cases it's been very in- irresponsible, especially in the U.S., in the food industry, in the drug industry. Um, So these are very hard problems to fix at core, but regular people become victims of them. So I think this is all about education and awareness from as early as possible. What do you think about the U.S., like growing up in Croatia and spending all these times in other countries? I've heard that a lot of people, when they come to the U.S., they, they are almost disgusted by the food quality at some level. Yes, absolutely. Food tastes entirely different. And the Portions are insane. I haven't like a coffee here in, in like a Starbucks coffee is I think 
much bigger than it, than it would be um, or, or what we would be used to in portion sizes, yeah. Um, when you first come here, I think it's shock. And I think I haven't been, I, I was in the U.S. as a child, um, I don't know what age, maybe 10, 11. My parents were in John Hopkins, uh, so they did their tenureship there. And that was my, I think we all gained weight in that, those that short two years that, that we were there. Uh, and then the first time I came back was maybe two, three years ago. It was a conference in San Francisco, and I landed in the center of San Francisco just after COVID. And I took a hotel right in the center, and I had no idea about the homeless problem. I was like, oh, my God. It's bad. How can it's the real most, bad. most advanced city in the world have such an enormous problem? And it was such a huge contradiction because we were on a biotech conference and you're sitting across entrepreneurs who um you know one one of them was explaining how his family spends a hundred thousand a year on groceries on like locally sourced uh, best quality food he can he can get for his family and there we are sitting and you look across the window and you see a homeless squat it's crazy it is absolutely insane i mean i was living in san francisco when i was going through 500 startups and i remember i was paying 1650 for a bedroom within a two bedroom and i whenever i'd get out i'd step over a homeless person and i was always thinking to myself i was you know for 1650 i could get myself a pretty badass like tent set up Maybe if I did that after a little while, I could get an airstream and I could just really camp out. Maybe they have a better idea with it, but it is nuts. It's nuts, you know, specifically in California, how the homeless population, I mean, to be fair, if I was homeless, I'd probably go live somewhere great like California. I mean, the weather is incredible and the scene's great, but it is crazy that that's the situation that we live in today. And uh, it's only going to uh, continue to evolve. And what's, what do you think in terms of longevity? How does that, there's a lot of just people that are in the health and wellness field, which is just every day eating healthier, being healthier. Do you consider them different almost fields of study longevity or do you see them like intertwined? Um, So I think there's different sides of longevity industry. Our focus is diagnostics or biomarkers. And then you have the therapeutic side of the longevity industry. And they're very different in a way that you're not looking, yes, you're looking to measure the effect of health and wellness uh, solutions, but generally they will only, like when, when we did, uh, so we looked at, so our aging, uh, our biomarker is mainly aging of the immune system or a mechanism called inflammation, which is the core of majority of chronic diseases. And we looked at how much of this is genes, how, m- how much of this is in epigenetics, environment, how much of this is lifestyle. And about 20% was lifestyle. 40% was genes. Uh, another 40% wow. was epigenetics, or um, we call it natural aging, so the passes- passage of time throughout your life. And, and this is also something you can change. So there's about 60% you can change. But if you just look at lifestyle, it's 20% on, on this measure which is quite a lot. That so if you look at going to the gym and all that stuff. So this is exercise, diet, all of the things we studied in terms of lifestyle interventions, uh, supplements uh, as well. So far that's been studied, but that does mean that you know if you're, you know if you look at a 100-year lifespan, that's 20 years of healthy life just through lifestyle changes. But it's only going to move things so far. And ideally we figure out mechan- like we get to a small molecule that can impact some of these mechanisms very early on. And you do have some of them already. There's drugs um, that we've had large trials with that do reverse this other 40% or this natural passage of time. So there's already things that that have an impact, Uh, but there will be even more radical therapies that could repair this damage by, like we had a recent... uh, study in rats where we got a bunch of samples from a study um, that was um, using a therapy called plasma fraction. They take um, these fractions from plasma from young animals and put them into aged animals and we see a 50% uh, reduction in the biomarker. And we looked at both glycum and epigenetics. So there will, these therapies will eventually develop for humans and you can radically extend lifespan um, and i think that's 
that's the goal of the longevity industry. That's a bit why, more than just the health. I don't know why this came into my head. Yeah. It's, it's not the most attractive topic, but it's sort of like what people do with fecal matter. For people that have really bad guts, you can take fecal matter of a healthy individual and place it into through a fecal transplant into an unhealthy individual, and it can help essentially like bolster that. Uh, we have done trials with that. Uh, so FMT. Uh, we've done um, uh, colitis uh, patients would be given a transplant, and it actually does reverse their, the, the age of their glycum as well. These are very small samples. So they're yeah. 10, so we're not going to go out and say, this is the longevity. <laughs> not yet, but... Well, these are, of course, this is where the science is right now because we don't have full understanding of how the biology works. So what we do is, you know, we take young blood and put it into an aged animal or we take um, fecal donations and put it into a yeah. uh, person that it, it will help. But eventually you figure out what is it in this healthy microbiome that we can extract that can be a therapy on its own. Same with the young plasma there are only a certain amount of animals that you can actually do these experiments on because they're similar to a human microbiome correct um well microbiome is really hard in animal models because their um, mice are bred in a lab and they don't really develop a, a natural microbiome uh, because they don't have this environment so we call them imbecile uh, they have like an imbecile immune system it's not fully developed predominantly because their microbiome hasn't fully developed. So uh, the trials we did, FMT was in people. It was in colitis yeah. patients, human colitis patients. Um, there are trials in, in mice with microbiome as well. Um, but if you're looking for the model that's closest to people, what's becoming very popular in the longevity space are dogs or pet animals. Um, because, okay, you can look at mammals and it's never one-to-one. -one. Even dog to, to human is not going to be one to Even dog to dog is not going to be one-to-one. -one. It's not person-to-person. -person, it's not one-to-one -one in terms of it translating. Uh, but dogs share this natural environment with us uh, and they have all the diseases that people have because of this poor lifestyle that we have translated onto our dogs yeah. right now. Also, they're animals that uh, we love. We, you know, we treat some of them as kids. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, dogs are as close as it gets to understanding you. Some people treat them as kids. Yeah. Um, so you're really willing to invest. And then also it's the believability because there's a lot of, um, for good reasons in some cases, but this idea of life extension is quite radical. So a lot of times people take time to believe it and also to understand where it's coming from in terms of this kind of tackling things at core versus and they you know same as me they think it's maybe narcissistic but then they realize it's there's way more to it um yeah where is it going with this so yes so <laughs> if you so using dogs as the potential method of so study. when the therapies come out for dogs and you start to buy this for your dog and it extends its life by 20 30 percent whatever it is you can think okay why can i get this for my dad or, you know, I'm pretty sure they will track it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then it's going to be easy too. But it is yeah. interesting that you touch on people get a little bit weird when they start thinking about, you know, anything life-changing or life-saving drugs. And for good reasons. There's a million scam artists in the world and yeah. we're, we're destined to, you know, believe in the what's worked historically is always going to work. And it's hard for people to wrap your head around it. But obviously new things are coming out every day you got to vet the red flags and you got to continuously evolve one thing that, that is so interesting is the wearable space like i got the whoop what are your what are your thoughts on whoop specifically have, have you ever I used think one whoop is really good athletes love it i use aura and that's my preferred i used to have an apple watch and then i changed it for aura it's just easier for me to sleep with it yeah. uh, and it gives me, it doesn't do little pings because I get so many pings in the day and I think with the Apple, I've always too been overwhelmed with it you, yeah. and then you snooze it, and then it snoozes your phone and then you don't get the calls. So it's it was kind of like doing too many things yeah. and Aura for me just does the right things it should and it's really good data. I remember Aura had, I did the Aura first. I just don't like it when you work out because it like hits, oh, the, yeah. hits the, like the dumbbell. But it gives you really good sleep. Like the sleep score yeah. on the Aura is unreal. I mean, it's that, that thing's freaking rocked on. But I do love the Whoop. And I almost think that, you know, I guess technically there's some EMFs that come with wearing these things. So if you really want to be like, but the reality is, is I think everyone needs to wear a wearable. I mean, just yeah. holding yourself accountable every day to just your lifestyle choices is so important, you know? No, Dave, I, I really like... Um, 
the insight I get from them. Um, like with Aura, it gave me uh, very, the lowest score I've ever had three days before I got a pos- positive COVID test. And they did a lot of good research around COVID. Um, and another thing is they gave you this like any, like if I have food late, if I have a glass of wine, it's going to show in it. And But then also it's going to give me interesting insights. Like what I've realized is that if I have a really nice social evening and I really enjoy the company, I have a glass of wine, it doesn't affect my scores. That's cool. Well, if I just have a glass of wine and it's not the best evening, then I will see it in the result the next day. <laughs> so it's it's interesting. That's so interesting too because they talked about it so many times at that conference, but the Harvard study, that the number one study that has gone towards longevity is social connections and good relationships. There's psychology is so hard to study because it's not objective. Uh, and we really want to do more on that side. So the only thing we've done in the past, we've done a PTSD study with about 600 people. And we do see that people with PTSD are about 15 years older on the aging clock to what they should be. Um, So there is a huge impact of mental health that um, we're only beginning to quantify. And then the question from there is, what interventions actually make an impact? And can we measure those? And those yeah. will definitely, if something can age you, then there's a way, you know, for us to also change that. So with the interventions, the 20%, so taking that back, 40, 40, 20, 40% is hard-coded and you can drink away. 40% is coffee. I mean, not 40% is coffee. 40% is DNA. 40% is hard-coded stuff that you can change. And then 20% is lifestyle. being that if you live to 100, you could potentially impact 20 extra years of good health. 40% saying that it's almost like it's without any intervention, that's that's what's going to happen. But there is a study that we can do using actual natural drugs and different therapies to crack into that 40. That's where it stands today. What of those lifestyle things have the biggest move the needle the most in your opinion? Ooh. Now, if you look at studies, so we can talk about about science and then we can talk about case studies. Perfect. And let's start with science. So what we've seen in science is that weight loss, well, first caloric restriction, but it's very hard to maintain. We did a study with like um, 800 people and 800 calories for uh, eight to 12 weeks, which is, you're not gonna be happy after those eight weeks. And then they go on different maintenance diets. Um, And then we did weight loss in different types of ways. So just observing twins for 20 years, seeing who gains weight, who loses it, how does this impact their aging? And if you're gaining weight, you're aging faster. If you're losing weight, you're aging slower. And then we did bariatric surgery. And in that, what was interesting, it was a cohort of about 45 patients. And they lose about nine years, six years, six months post-surgery. And there was a patient which lost 32 years. So yes, this is medical, but technically you could take the, those pounds off without the surgery. It's just having this radical weight loss that, that you're looking for. So, um, but that's of course only applies if you're overweight, which majority of the population is. Uh, then if when you, as you're going further, we very much focused on diet. And with diets, what we find is that you need a personalized diet, and that's going to have the biggest impact. Because when you put people on these different like nutrient proportion diets, and you do it randomly, have people see benefit, have people see harm. Some people process carbs better, some people process fats better, some protein. You really have to see what is that optimal proportion for an individual, and, and then it works. So we have lots of good new data that's going to come out of that now. And how do people get that through like a blood test? You're able to determine that? So this is all science. We're talking about different uh, publications, which are some which are published. One now on personalized diet is due to be published and it's with a company where you can buy the product. So once the data is out there, we can talk about it. it. Um, But it has to be all individuals. Sports as well. So we did sprint training. That had a positive impact within 12 weeks. And I think the problem here is all of this needs to be personalized. And you have to look at a person and see where are their issues. Is it diet related? Are they not exercising at all? Is it mental health related? Because you can have somebody with the perfect exercise regime. If you do all their blood markers, you look at their physiology, they look impossibly healthy, but they have a horrible score. Uh, and then when you look into their psychology, there is something there. So I can also talk about my results. Uh, and I didn't mention that on stage because we were in a, 
psychedelics, mental health. <laughs> Although my journey wasn't with psychedelics. <laughs> um, so I measured my uh, biological age uh, for, for the lichen age for eight years now. Uh, first time I did it, I was 24, and you literally walked into the lab, you donated blood, and then six months later, a PhD student gave you a, a result. So it was a very different process to now. Um, and I always had a good score. So it was always under my age. I didn't move much for the last uh, five years. It was hang on the lowest level I could have. Um, and then travel started a bit less, like it got a little more hectic in the last year and a half. And then it started to go up a little bit, but just a few years. And then I had a decade spike for the first time in these eight years, um, sometimes beginning of uh, this year. And that was a triggering of a childhood trauma, which was abandonment. Uh, so I went out of a long-term relationship and it triggered this uh, trauma that w I was born in the middle of a war. Um, my parents were really young, so they were kind of, you know, give their kids to grandparents yeah. and you know, whoever was, w was willing to pitch in. Um, but it left a lot of uh, scars that I just couldn't remember or even go back to. So when I experienced this emotion as an adult, it really felt like dying. It was the, it was, inc you know, it was a very, it affected me in the largest Triggered way so in far. the deepest way. And uh, of course, yeah. I uh, had, a, uh, luckily I had a great psychotherapist and I realized what it was, I processed it and my results are again optimal now, <laughs> almost a year later. Uh, but that was the biggest impact for me and I could measure the damage when it happened. I could realize what it is, work on it and get it back to where it should be. Um, but that's things we don't have science on. You know, that's we wild. Don't it's wild that yeah. you can have that experience, go through like such a heartbreak, your world's falling apart and most people will look at it just get over it right like they've got but deep down it triggered something that you n didn't even know existed at the time because how could you and that whole thing comes up and it's like gets probably exemplified times a thousand so heartbreak is one side of it i've definitely had that multiple times and it did not trigger the, the spike it, it not at least that i could measure in the years um it was more this deep traumas that you're not aware because a lot of times in these relationships you get the triggers and we're not really aware of them so when you feel them if you don't understand what's going on a lot of times you get trapped in this cycle for years and years like if i look at when people go out of bad relationships marriage sometimes it affects them for a decade sometimes their whole life and really what's going on is it has triggered something for you that you just never you, you, you didn't process uh, so i think that side of mental health um, is still not really we're not tackling it the best way we can and there are tools to do it what are some of those tools um well of course psychotherapy you have to figure out what are these um childhood stories so psychotherapy versus therapy therapies oh this is therapy just that's therapy. it okay, psychotherapy okay. therapy same thing okay um it's not the psych word it's kind of the <laughs> helpful therapist um meditation uh helps a lot uh so that's helped me probably with stress management most um but it's uh, and, and when you're meditating are you focusing specifically on like just thinking about nothing or depends on what meditation you've done um yeah. and i did vipassana and it's like a very ancient sensations based uh, technique yeah. which um, actually changed a lot of my eating habits because i used to stress eat and that completely went away and this kind of resilience to stress increased because it's the connection of your like you realize that no bad and no good is permanent but when you read that as a philosophy, you think, okay, nice. Yeah, I get it on a mental level. When your body gets that and it connects with your mind, because basically they have you stay in a certain posture that gives you a lot of pain and it's kind of sensation. So you have back pain, you have a dead leg. I'd like a dead leg for 40 minutes. <laughs> and then and you may take 12 hours a day, 10 days silent. So you have a lot of time to figure it out. Um, so it was like a dead leg for 40 minutes, then turned into tingles, like great pleasure i got feeling back for like 15 minutes and then the end of it get went back to pain and i think this is where my body connected the two it was like 
even these 40 minutes of pain are not permanent. It's going to change. And then the pleasure is also not permanent. That's also going to change. So it builds this resilience. Um, and I think this is similar to when you have a trauma triggered. It's about being able to fix it when it comes out. Because usually mm. we don't. We kind of just battle, you know, kind of try to dig it under again. Try, we want it to go away. And it coming out is an opportunity to fix it. We can process this emotion that was trapped since we were children. So this is why you didn't want the pillow. And you're like, Psh, I've been through way worse. I don't need no <laughs> pillow support. <laughs> yeah, I don't need back support. <laughs> well, I could talk to you for another hour on all this stuff. But I do know that you, you got a lot to do right now. So one thing that we always mention is if there is one thing that you could tell yourself that going back to, you know, maybe 15, 16 year old you looking back at all you've accomplished, all you've done, the, the world travel, the, the revolutionizing the health space, which I'm sure to you is just another day, but to other people, it's phenomenal that people like you exist. What are some of the things that you might have told yourself, a younger version of you? Oh, that is so kind of you. Um, I think my biggest hindrance in life has probably been imposter syndrome. And I have had it for many different reasons. Dyslexia, being introverted, being an immigrant, you can put, you can put it all to being a woman. Um, I would love to go back and just say all of these things are advantages. Like when you walk into a room, you're no different to anyone else. You're no, at no disadvantage. And if I could have mentally accepted that, my life would be much easier. Nigalina, I appreciate you coming through the studio. Appreciate you coming Thank to you. Miami. How can people follow the journey? How can people find your company? So we're called Glycanage. It's Glycan with a Y. Um, we have active socials. Actually, if you're a consumer, Instagram is the best place. We try to really translate the science in an understandable way. And you have lots of users sharing their stories, and some of them are incredible. Um, then we have a podcast, which is very technical. It's I I interviewing glycobiologists around the world. And they do speak a certain language, so be prepared for the technicality. But if you want to dive into glycans, that's the best place to go. Uh, and then apart from that, um, it's easy to find me. I'm on uh, LinkedIn, uh, you know, I've, 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 yeah. Well, you're off in New York to tomorrow, to. but easy to find you online. <laughs> yes, I do fly around a lot, um, but I do try to make time uh, for, yeah, Love interesting. It. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate you, and hopefully we get to do this again in the future when everyone knows their glycan age. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.